Again, we are in Jonah chapter four. We're looking at the whole chapter. So we are finishing Jonah this week. Uh, Let's stand together for the reading of God's word. So please pay attention. This is the word of the Lord. This is his holy and inerrant and true word to us. Jonah chapter four. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. O Lord, this is your word, and we are thankful to you for speaking to us. And we know that your word to us is true and trustworthy, that your word is unchangeable, that the grass withers, The flower fades, but your word will remain forever. So help us to hear, O God, from your unchanging word. And help us to be convinced of its truthfulness. To know what you would speak to us. And to live in light of your truth. God, transform us by your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, if you are like me, you've probably experienced times in your life when you were extremely angry over something very, very small. It's usually the case when we are angry over something that uh, seems very small or we're angry for what seem to be unjustified reasons, it's because something deeper is going on in us. Imagine this for just a moment. 
Imagine that you get home one day after a long day, you decide to keep it simple that night and you make a frozen pizza for dinner. If it was me, it would be pepperoni for you, maybe supreme, or if you are one of those people, Hawaiian. But you decide that you want to make a frozen pizza. It's really easy and convenient. And you uh, turn on the oven to 400 degrees and you set a timer for 20 minutes and you put the pizza in and you go and sit on the couch to get off your feet for just a moment. And you are way more tired than you thought you were. So you fall asleep on the couch and you sleep through the little alarm going off after 20 minutes. And the only thing that wakes you up is the smell of something burning. And you go into your kitchen, you open up the oven, little cloud of smoke comes up out of the oven and you look in there and you see something that looks more like an oversized hockey puck than anything that you would ever want to eat. Okay, now that would be frustrating, wouldn't it? But imagine in that scenario that you absolutely blow up with anger. You're not just a little frustrated. You yell at your kids, you throw something across the room, you go and post about how mad you are on social media, right? You blow up with anger over this burnt pizza. If that's the case, are you really mad about the pizza? Probably not. It's probably the case that something else has been going on. Other things have got you up right to that anger boiling point. And the burnt pizza is just what took you from 210 degrees Fahrenheit and took you to 212 degrees Fahrenheit and you boiled over. Something deeper is going on. And this is often the case when we have apparently unjustified or unexpected anger. It reveals something in our heart. And this is exactly what we see this morning in our passage with Jonah. Jonah a prophet of the Lord who had gone to Nineveh and preached and his preaching had just brought about one of the greatest revivals in recorded human history. A great, wicked, violent city turned from their sins and turned to the Lord. Jonah saw something that any other prophet in the Old Testament would literally be willing to give their life for. He saw a city a whole city, turn to the Lord. But how did Jonah respond to this? He was angry. He didn't respond with overwhelming joy, with praise like we might think he would want to. He responded with bitterness, with hatred and anger. Right after Nineveh repented in chapter three and the Lord spared them of the disaster that was coming upon them. Chapter four begins, if you look with me, to verse one. But it, that's the Lord sparing Nineveh, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry. And this translation doesn't really even capture the strength of Jonah's anger. If you're going to translate this very literally in the Hebrew, it would be, but it was evil to Jonah a great evil, and he burned. He burned. God not destroying evil, not destroying Nineveh, was evil to Jonah. He wasn't just a little disappointed. He wasn't just a little frustrated. He believed that God had done wrong by showing his grace. 
Jonah's anger should be confusing to us. It should seem totally unjustified to us because it is. But it shows us that something deeper is going on with Jonah. And it's this anger that finally shows us what's really been going on in the heart of Jonah all along in this book. We finally learn why he ran away from God's call to go to Nineveh, why he fled out to Joppa, out to a ship, out to sea, running down and down and down away from the presence of God. Down at its root, Jonah's issue is that he had a problem with God's grace. Not that there was a problem with God's grace, but that Jonah had a problem with God's grace. Now that might sound completely backwards to us. Might sound completely counterintuitive to us. If you think through a list of the attributes of God or the character traits of our God, what do you think people are going to have a problem with? Naturally, we think that people are going to have a problem with the justice of God or God's wrath against sin. But who on earth would object to God being gracious? Who would object to God being merciful and patient and loving? Well, apparently Jonah would. Look at verses two and three with me. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. He's saying, this Lord, this is my complaint. This is why I ran away. This is why I didn't obey. Why? If you look at the verses here. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He's saying, I am so enraged over the fact that you are gracious that I'm willing to die. It would be better if you just killed me right now. Because you are a gracious God. Because you are a merciful God. You were unwilling, Jonah, to obey God. And now you're so angry that you want to die because God is merciful and patient and loving. It should amaze us that in that moment, what was most detestable to Jonah about God was not his wrath, but his grace, his mercy, patience, steadfast love. Jonah was so turned around that he thought that God's grace was evil. Think about that. So turned around that he thought the grace of God was evil. But the Lord, as he does over and over again throughout the book of Jonah, seeks to draw Jonah out of his sin and out of his stubbornness. In verse 4, the Lord asks a question to Jonah. Do you do well to be angry? This is God being a divine counselor, right? Asking a good question to draw out what's really going on. It's an invitation to Jonah to analyze his heart, to look at what's really going on, to ask, is my anger righteous anger? Is my anger justifiable before God? Which, of course, Jonah's anger was not. And even though in this passage we don't see Jonah give a response to this first question, God brings out what was really going on in Jonah's heart. But what this passage will also show us is that there is more Jonah in our hearts than we would often like to admit. 
And just as the Lord invited Jonah to take a look at his hearts, at his heart, we need to take a look at our hearts also this morning. This passage shows us what it looked like for Jonah to have a problem with the grace of God. And it also shows us ways that we can have a problem with the grace of God. So as we go through this passage, we're going to look at four ways that we can have a problem with the grace of God. And each of these points are going to start the same way. So if you're taking notes, they all begin. We have a problem with God's grace when. So we have a problem with God's grace when. I'll say all four now, but I'll repeat them when we come to each point. When we despise God's grace to our enemies. When we love God's grace only when it's for us when we believe we deserve God's grace, and when we think we should be sovereign over grace. And again, I'll repeat those as we come to them. And as we look at these, you'll probably notice that these points overlap to a degree. And that's really because they all are related. They all kind of flow from the same heart sickness that is in Jonah. So first, we have a problem with God's grace when we despise God's grace to our enemies, when we despise God's grace to our enemies. Jonah's anger with God's grace was because of who God's grace was shown to. Jonah hated God's grace because it was for Nineveh. Nineveh, as we talked about earlier in the book of Jonah, was a great city. They were a great Assyrian city. And during the time of the book of Jonah in the 8th century BC, Assyria as an empire was one of the great enemies of Israel. There were a rising world power in that time to the north and the east of Israel. And later in that very century, in the 8th century BC, it was Assyria that conquered Israel. It was Assyria that took Israel into exile. And specifically, Nineveh as an Assyrian city was known for their wickedness, for their violence towards their enemies. And Jonah didn't want God to be gracious to Israel's enemies. He didn't want God to be gracious to Israel's enemies. In verse 2, Jonah tells God that he fled from God's call to preach against Nineveh, as we've seen, because he knew God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and so on. Now, initially, if we look at God's call to Jonah at the beginning of the book of Jonah, we might think that if Jonah disliked Nineveh, that he would love God's call. God called Jonah to preach against Nineveh, to go and call them out on their wickedness, on their violence, to declare to them that the judgment of God was coming upon their violence. Uh, and who wouldn't want to do that? If you disliked Nineveh, wouldn't you love to go tell them how wicked they were? Wouldn't you love to go tell them God is going to destroy you? But Jonah knew God, didn't he? Jonah knew God's character. That God was sending Jonah as a prophet to Nineveh, not primarily as a promise of the destruction of Nineveh, but to send a warning to Nineveh, a warning that was meant to draw them to repentance. And Jonah knew God's character. 
Jonah knew that God would show his grace to Nineveh if they repented. And for Jonah, the worst thing that could possibly happen was for God to show grace to wicked Nineveh. Now, I try in my sermons to not have too many sports illustrations, but I cannot help myself with some people from Chicago joining us for worship this morning. Sorry, Moleskis, to point you out. One of the great sports, sports rivalries in all of history is between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, right? And you guys are Bears fans, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, okay. All right. As Bears fans, you probably remember back in 2007, the Bears made it to the Super Bowl. They faced off against the Indianapolis Colts on February 4th, just a couple of days before my birthday. The Super Bowl always seems to fall within a couple days of my birthday. And that year, what I wanted most for my birthday was for the Chicago Bears to lose the Super Bowl. Sorry. And my biggest nightmare was that they just might win. They certainly had the defense for it that year. But classic Bears, they did not have the quarterback or the offense. And unlike the Packers, just a few years later, the Bears lost. Now, it's often the case in sports rivalries that people want their rival to lose almost as much as they want their team to win, right? Okay, I get almost as much joy when the Bears fail again and again to find a quarterback as as I do having joy in a quarterback that's a Hall of Famer, right? I take pleasure I take pleasure in the other team losing. But sports, hopefully, are not our lives, right? I know for some people it might be. But unfortunately, that mindset applies to so much more than just sports. Right now, in our world and in our culture, it feels like battle lines are drawn on everything. And even little things like what restaurant you choose to eat at, What clothes you decide to wear can be a statement about your allegiance in the fight. Now, I am not saying that divides are always wrong or that our opinions on the things that divide our culture are unimportant. We should desire as Christians to think and to act in a Christian way in every area of our lives, even in the areas that divide our world. But we need to be aware of the temptation to so desire the defeat of our enemies that we don't desire that God would show his grace to them or that we would even be angry if God showed his grace to our opponents. Who do you consider to be your enemies? And do you sincerely desire that God would draw them to himself, that God would shower his grace and his blessing upon them in the gospel? Or do you only wish that God would destroy them, that God would defeat them? And the really sinister thing that goes on in our hearts is that we can despise God's grace to our enemies while at the same time loving God's grace to us. The second point is the counterpart to the first one. We have a problem with God's grace when we despise God's grace to our enemies. And second, when we love God's grace only when it's for us. If we look at Jonah's prayer here at the beginning of chapter four and compare it to Jonah's prayer in chapter two, we'll notice something very striking. 
Here in chapter four in Jonah's prayer, when God showed grace to Jonah's enemies, Jonah burns with anger and he complains. And he even wants to die. He's so mad. But back in chapter two, God had just shown his grace to Jonah. Jonah was the one drowning in the sea and God is the one who just delivered him. And Jonah responds by singing God's praises. Think about that. Jonah is so angry when grace is received by enemies, but he is so glad when grace is received by him. And I think Jonah is so blinded by his anger here that he is completely unable to see his hypocrisy here. But God gives Jonah an object lesson to reveal what's really going on in his heart. So after complaining to God in verse five, Jonah walks out into the desert, out to the east of the city of Nineveh, and he builds himself a little shelter. And he sits down in the shade to get out of the sun and he watches the city to see what God would do to it. Jonah is acting like a pouting child here. He's saying, I'm going to sit here until you do what I want you to do. I'm going to sit here until I get what I want. And while Jonah is out there pouting in the desert, the sun rises higher in the sky. And apparently the shelter that Jonah decided to build for himself just isn't enough to keep the sun off of him. So God, in his grace to Jonah, appoints a plant to grow up, to provide shade, and to save Jonah from his discomfort. Interestingly here, the Hebrew word for discomfort is the same Hebrew word for disaster in verse 10 of chapter 3. So how did Jonah react to God saving Nineveh from their disaster? The Hebrew word is ra'ah. How did Jonah react to God saving Nineveh from their ra'ah, their disaster? Anger, bitterness. And, it, and in verse 6, how does Jonah then react to God saving him from his ra'ah, from his discomfort? Verse 6 tells us, Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. And this is also paralleled with Jonah's response to Nineveh in the way that this is phrased. Remember I said in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew, when God saved Nineveh, it was evil, a great evil to Jonah. Well, here, when God saves Jonah, Jonah is glad, a great gladness, right? God spares Nineveh, it's evil, a great evil. When God spares Jonah, he's glad, a great gladness. Jonah loves God's grace but only when it's for him. Jonah hates God's grace when it's for others, especially for his enemies. And what that means is that Jonah does not actually love God's grace. Jonah only loves the personal benefits of God's grace. And when this is our mindset, we have a problem with God's grace because it isn't actually the grace of God that we love or the God of grace that we love. We love the gifts of God's grace. And we selfishly believe that those gifts should be reserved for only us and not others. Do you want God to be gracious to you and not to others? Think about this even in little things in our lives. Think about a time in your life when someone else has received from the Lord a gift of his grace that you desired for yourself, whether a thing or a job or a relationship, whatever it might be. When God gave that to somebody else, even while you desired it, did you rejoice in God's grace? 
being shown to that person? Or did you resent that God would give his grace to them and not to you? Do you really truly only love God's grace when it's for you? We need to know that God's grace benefits us, but God's grace is not ultimately about us. God's grace is about God. God's grace is about his glory. And if we delight ourselves in the glory of God, we should delight ourselves when the glory of God is displayed in his grace to anybody, not just to us. God's grace is not about you. It's about him. And Jonah made the mistake of only loving God's grace for him. And one of the big issues going on is that Jonah seems to believe that he is entitled to God's grace. That brings us to our third point this morning. We have a problem with God's grace when we believe we deserve God's grace. When we believe we deserve God's grace. So Jonah's view of grace is both selfish and self-righteous, right? He loves it for him and he thinks he deserves it. Selfish and self-righteous. And God continues to show his lesson to Jonah here. God first appointed a plan to save Jonah and Jonah was glad. But here then in seven and eight, God appoints two other things for Jonah. God first appoints a worm. The worm kills the plant. Then in verse 8, God appoints a scorching east wind. So Jonah is now sitting out in the sun with very little shelter, and the wind is probably beating against him, blowing sand and dirt in his face and in his eyes, and he's sitting out there, and how does he react? The end of verse 8, and he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Does that sound familiar? It's exactly how he responded to Nineveh being spared. So then God, really diving in here, asks a heart-probing question to Jonah again. Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And Jonah, who's still sitting out there outside of Nineveh like a stubborn, pouting child, he says, yes, yes, I do well to be angry. I do well to be angry, God. Angry enough to die. Angry enough to die. What Jonah wants God to do to Nineveh is exactly the opposite of what Jonah wants God to do for himself. And ultimately, Jonah believes and acts and lives as if he deserves God's grace and Nineveh doesn't. He cannot believe when God relents from disaster to Nineveh. He can't believe that God would show his grace to such wicked, evil people. God, how dare you give them good things? And how dare you take away good things from me? How dare you take away that that plant? How dare you give me evil? I want you to give them evil. But the book doesn't end with Jonah talking. The book ends with God talking. Notice this. God ends the book with a big final lesson to Jonah. And we're going to look at this whole statement in just a second. But notice how God begins this closing statement. He says, Jonah, you you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you care so deeply about this plant that I gave you by my grace to you. Do you realize that you didn't do anything for that plant? You didn't work for it. 
You didn't make it grow. And yet you care so much about it. Jonah, you don't deserve that plant. That's my grace. Are we like Jonah? I think we are far more often than we would like to admit. I remember in college when I was first starting to really dive deeply into scripture and into theology, that I realized I had a tendency to be prideful about my theology, to gloat over how much better my theology was than those other people, than even those other Christians. But then later one night, I remember realizing how ridiculous it was to be proud in a theology that taught me that I was completely undeserving of anything good that God gave me, right? That I was proud in a theology that taught me I was dead in my sins until God gave me life. I was proud in a theology that taught me there's nothing inherently in me that's better than anybody else. But I was proud. If we love God's grace to us and we relent God's grace to others, perhaps we need to remember that we're not entitled to God's grace. And especially when we resent God's grace to our enemies, perhaps we need to remember that we were once God's enemies. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by the blood of Jesus, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. The solution to a selfish and self-righteous heart is the cross of Christ. It reconciles sinners and enemies to God and reminds us that we were those sinners and enemies who needed reconciling. That apart from his grace and his love, we are no better than our neighbor. And even now, we are always dependent upon him. All praise to him, not to us. So we've seen that the problem with, that when we have a problem with God's grace, it's because we despise God's grace to our enemies. We love God's grace when it's only for us. We believe that we deserve God's grace. And lastly, we have a problem with God's grace when we think that we should be sovereign over grace. When we think we should be sovereign over grace. Of all of Jonah's issues in this whole book, perhaps the biggest issue is that he thinks he should take God's place as the sovereign giver of grace and the sovereign judge. Jonah thinks that God messed up, that God made a mistake. And if it was up to Jonah, Jonah would receive God's grace. Israel would receive God's grace, but nobody else. Not those, not those wicked Gentiles, not those violent Assyrians and Ninevites. No, they would receive God's judgment. Jonah thinks he would do a better job than God at giving out grace and judgment. Back in chapter two in Jonah's prayer, his last line of praise to God was, salvation belongs to the Lord. And now here, it's as if he is saying, salvation belongs to me. 
Salvation belongs to Jonah. Salvation does not belong to Jonah. And salvation does not belong to us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Exodus 33, God teaches to Moses and reminds to us, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. Who are we to think that God has got it wrong? In our passage today, we see that God is sovereign both over the plant and over the worm and the wind. God is free to show his grace to Jonah, and he's also free to take it away. God is free to show his grace to Nineveh if that's what God decides is best. I was a stubborn child. I always thought, like probably many of you kids, don't be like me. I thought that I knew better than my parents until I was old enough to realize that I was wrong. And by old enough, I mean probably like 20 years old. And how often are we like stubborn children who think that we know better than our heavenly father? Do we think we would be better lords of grace than God is? I believe that we like to think that we would be more generous with grace than God is. That we wouldn't judge so many people if we were the ones in charge. But look at our hearts. If we're completely honest, if we're like Jonah, what makes us think that we would be generous and gracious? What makes us think that selfish, self-righteous, self-centered, quickly angered, slow to forgive people would be better at distributing grace than a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, God? We need to compare our hearts with God's and we need to submit ourselves to him. And interestingly, the book of Jonah ends with a question. God asks to Jonah, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Jonah, you care about this little plant. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. Now, if Jonah had been a Wisconsinite, that last line would have gotten him, right? Jonah, should I not pity cows? Of course, Lord. What else would we do? We would have no cheese, right? Well, I think what God is doing here, Jonah is just showing pity for a little plant. And even if Jonah won't show pity to these people, maybe he'll show pity to some cows, right? Jonah cares about this tiny little plant that benefits him, but he does not care an ounce about a city full of 120,000 people, people who are helpless, who don't know the right hand from their left hand. But then the book ends. It just ends, right? It ends with a question mark. How weird is that? There's no response. We don't know what Jonah said. We don't know what Jonah did. We don't know if Jonah's heart was changed. We have no idea what goes on. It just ends with a question. And what this does is it turns the question out to us. How would we respond to God's question? Should God be gracious? towards our enemies? Should God show his pity and his compassion to the wicked Ninevites? This is a question that is an invitation to us. Are our hearts more like Jonah's or are our hearts more like God's? 
Do our hearts go out with compassion to this great city of 60,000 people in Oshkosh who do not know their right hands from their left? Or do we just long to see our enemies defeated and destroyed? Do we see people as sinners in need of a savior just like us? Jonah's problem with God's grace made him run from God's calling. He went as far and as fast as he could away from the people that God was calling him to reach and to preach to. And when our hearts look like Jonah's, then we will not go where God calls us to go. If our hearts are like Jonah's, we will not speak when God calls us to speak. We will not preach when God calls us to preach. We will not speak of the gospel to our neighbor. But as our hearts are conformed to look more and more like our God's, may it cause us to obey God's evangelistic call, to delight to bring the gospel to our city, our neighbors, our family, and our coworkers. May we delight to see the grace and compassion of God showered out on people like us who are undeserving. So let us pray that God, by his grace and by his spirit, would continue to transform our hearts, to take out that bit of Jonah that dwells in us and to make us look more like him, that we would be heralds of his grace in our world. Let's pray. Father, we do know that your grace toward us is infinite, that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. But, oh God, we confess to you that we do not always delight in your grace. We ask that you would humble us before you, to acknowledge you as the sovereign Lord, to acknowledge you as the gracious God, to acknowledge our sin and our desperate need of your grace. Then help us to delight in your grace in the gospel, that we would delight to bring it to the city of Oshkosh or wherever it is that we live. Oh God, we need your help. Transform our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.